Praise God. Good morning, everybody. This is week number eight in our series on deliverance. We're looking at healing and deliverance and all that that is. Um, we've covered various aspects of it so far. If you missed last week's, we made a bit of a, 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 a turn in the road, if you like, in terms of our approach to it. If you remember, we were saying that as Pentecostals, many Pentecostals get very confused and they end up believing that they're fighting the devil, the devil, and the devil. And we're not. What are we fighting? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Let me just finish getting your notes out there because I need you to pay attention. I don't want you to miss this. Everybody look up. I wish that I could say to you that if you overcame all the sin in your life, that everything would be okay. And many Christians live their lives with the perspective that the only problem that they actually have is sin. And it isn't. Okay? And if you think like that, if you behave like that, to be honest with you, it's a distraction to you. A big distraction. And the devil succeeds in getting some people to chase him all their lives. Their focus is only the devil, the devil, the devil. And that is a very narrow view of Scripture. It's a selective understanding, and I believe it's a downright dangerous understanding, because the Bible's much, much broader than that, right? I'm fascinated by this series, absolutely fascinated. But it frustrates me, because I see so many of the, the, the things that Jesus tried to explain to us get lost in translation, if you like, uh, through time. Look at Mark chapter 6. Let me explain more what I mean. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Famous situation here, the feeding of the 5,000. Mark 6, 31. Then, because so many people were coming and growing, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many people saw them leaving and recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By, the time, by, by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, look at this, you sort it out, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a, a, a year's wages. Are we to go and spend all that on, on, on bread for them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and... What? Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the bread. Then he gave it to his disciples to distribute to the people, and he also divided the two fish among them. They all ate, 5,000, and they were all satisfied, and there were 12 basketfuls left over. Wow. I want you to notice something, folks. Again, look up, please. No devil. There's no devil in the story. There's no sickness in the story. He's not driving out demons. There's no sin in the story. Okay? He's not turning somebody's life around. So what's the story all about? Well, the story is intended to tell you that it's not all about the devil, the devil, the devil. The problem in this situation was the mentality of the disciples. That even though it was within their ability to feed those 5,000, they didn't have the mind for it. They weren't thinking straight. They weren't thinking right. Do you understand? Okay? And he wanted them to see that. He wants us to see that. In fact, when faced with a problem, what did they do 
Don't answer my questions, because it's a trap. <laughs> when faced with a problem, friends, what do you do? When faced with a terrible situation, a critical situation, what do you do? Do you know what they did? They came back to Jesus with multiple choice. A, B, or C. A, we send all the people away to the nearby towns. Human, right? It's a human answer. There's no miracle there. B, we go and buy some bread. Human answer. Or C, huh, just give it back to Jesus. <laughs> Pass the buck. Right? Now listen, friends. When you get a phone call saying that your friend is sick, and they ring you and, you, and they say, you know, uh, you know, I've got cancer or something like that. And you say, oh, that's terrible. A, you could go to the doctor. B, you could go private. <laughs> C, you need to talk to Jesus. Bye, bye. All deferring, really, and all human. And this was his point. You see, Jesus didn't say, send them to me. He said, you do it. You feed them. And what he wanted them to, he wanted to change their mind. They did not believe that they had that ability within their grasp. Their thinking was human. It was what we call carnal. Whenever you see the word carnal in Scripture, you can be misled even there. It doesn't always mean sinful. It comes from the word chili con carne, right? Which just simply means with meat, with flesh, if you like. And your thinking may not just, uh, carnal is not always sinful. It just means of the natural self, of the flesh, natural answers. And that is the heart of the mistake or the mentality change that was needed within these men. And that's the change that is needed most certainly within me. When I was in Bible college in Cardiff Uni, one of our lecturers there, his name was Jeffrey Palmer, and he was not saved, definitely not saved. He loved to ridicule Scripture. He used to really delight in that, and he was making fun of this parable one day. I will always remember it, because this parable happens two situations, the feeding of the 3,000 and the feedings of the 5,000. So there's something important going on. Jesus is trying to make a very important point, because he's repeating it. And Jeffrey Palmer's point was, how ridiculous, he said. Who could believe Scripture? This is a Bible college lecturer, God help us. Who could believe Scripture, he says, when you've got these 12 guys watching a miracle happen and seeing how Jesus did the miracle, and then a few chapters later, you've got the same guys making the same mistake? They're not that stupid, he said to us. They're not that daft. See how ridiculous Scripture is? And I tell you what, how wrong he is. How wrong he is. We're going to take up our faith pledge, for example, in about five weeks' time. And some of you will have made a very brave faith pledge last year. What about next month? And maybe God worked for you and you saw him move. And you thought, hallelujah, I'm glad I had faith. What about next month? And there's something very carnal, you see. There's something very human about humanity, about us, and I can see myself in these disciples, these apostles, and I can see this in you, my friends. You need to accept the fact that I need a healthy reminder. We're doing a series on healing and deliverance and how in reality, maybe not popular thought, but how in reality to get to that place. And I want you to think this morning of a miracle that you need. I hope you've got some, by the way, because if you're not believing God for a few miracles, that means you've got no hope. It means you've got no living hope within you. You should be believing for something. Amen? You should be targeting something. If you've lost that, may God help you. I want you to think of some things, right? Uh, whatever, health, career, maybe you need a husband or a wife, Relational difficulties, family difficulties, you can add to the list anything you want. What miracle are you seeking? And Jesus basically says, you know, it's, it's, it's over to you. It's over to you. I want you to change your mind about how to appropriate the things of God, the interaction with the Father. 
And very simply this morning, take a look at the three simple steps that Jesus took. And I believe if you and I employ these simple things, it can transform any situation, any problem in which you're needing a miracle. I need a few miracles in my house. I believe we're getting some right now, praise God. God's moving, changing things. What's the first thing he did? Point one. He told the apostles, go and gather up the bread. Now look at this situation, folks. There's 5,000 people, and what have they got? (laughs) Five loaves of bread, right? So it's a very small thing. It's a ridiculous thing. And their first reaction was to just look with despising eyes on that because it was small. Because it looked insignificant. It looked unimportant. And that was, without a doubt, their first primary mistake. Now, I mean, here you go, folks. Sorry for the state of it. It's a tenor. It looks as though it's been in my back pocket for 10 years, doesn't it? There's a tenor. Is that a little or is it a lot? Little or a lot? Don't answer my questions. Is it a little or a lot? Don't answer my questions. It's a trap. How do you view this? It's very important, you know. I'm dealing with some people, one particular person at the moment who has just got an awful lot of money. Right? Big numbers. I'm sitting with them, and you know what? The more I'm trying to help them, the more they sound as if they haven't got anything. Well, two months ago, you had nothing. And now, when you got 100,000, you need 150. And you didn't even have... And now you have 250, now you need 300. Now you've got 300, you need... Where are you going? There's something wrong with your mentality. And the way in which we look at this, folks, is very important, you see. Very important. I want to be a channel of finance. I want to be a channel of God's love. But it depends how I spend my love. Depends how I give my love away and care for others. Depends how I view things. Amen. Right? This was their first mistake. Not respecting the small thing, the day of small things. Put it like that. And I want you to understand something, folks. Listen, and if you take one line away from this morning, let it be this one. Not respecting the small things was a miracle-stopping problem. It was a miracle prevent. That's the first thing that was preventing them receiving a miracle. And that's a lesson to me because how am I viewing everything in my life? Maybe for some of you, what is your gifting? And you think your gifting is so small or so insignificant that you hide it or you're embarrassed about it. You cannot despise the day of small things because when you appreciate it, respect it, It leads to greater things. This is definitely a principle in the kingdom. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7. Look at this. 1 Kings 17, 7. You know the story, famous story, the widow of Zarephath. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. So he went, this is Elijah, so he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her, and he said, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and, uh, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take it home and make a meal for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do what you have said. But first of all, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make some for yourself and your son. And you know the story. When the widow... I love that situation, you know, because it reminds me of me. Here you've got, here you've got the prophet coming in to this lady, 
And I, it is my opinion that all her life she said in her heart, I got nothing. I got nothing. That's what I've got. Everybody else is okay but me. And of course, she ends up with, in her eyes, that is her reality. Your, reality, you know, your perception is reality. That's how she perceives her reality. But when the prophet came in, a bit like Jesus when the bread was before him, when the prophet came in, so came light. And the light kind of changed her mentality, changed her perspective on what little she had in, in, in her mind, and kind of changed the way she saw it. You know, I think the widow of Zarephath would have liked country and western music. Do you know country and western music? She says, I've got, you know, we're all going to die, we're all going to die, you know. That's what they, it's, it's ridiculous. I hate it, actually, to be honest. Depressing, depressing stuff. But look at her, look at the words that come out of her, her, her mouth. I've got nothing, I'm going to make this bread, and then we're all going to die, right? Terrible perspective, but maybe more common than we think despising the little within her hand. Listen, folks, it was the presence of the prophet that shone the light on the bread, you understand, and on the oil. That's what happened. And Jesus was trying to get the, the disciples, trying to get us to do the very same thing. Do not despise it. And another thing, you know, when you ask people to do stuff in ministry, very often when you ask people to do stuff, uh, be an usher or, or something like that. The first, <laughs> the first words out of many people's mouths is, you know, why they can't or what they can't do, right? And Elijah did not ask the, ask the widow what she didn't have. Did, did, did he? Didn't ask her what she didn't have. But his, her reaction, what have you got? Her reaction was, I've got nothing. Is that true or false? It's completely false. It's not true. Okay, but, and, but I believe that all her life, that's how she saw it. It was the light of the prophet's presence that changed her perspective on what you've got. Friends, when God asks you to do something, don't tell Him what you can't do. Don't tell Him what you can't do. Don't look at what you haven't got. I remember years ago when I was in social services, one of the guys in the office was throwing out an old table that he had found in his office, and it was a wreck. It was wrecked. It was covered in paint. It had been used as a paint table for years, but it was still structurally sound, you know, and he was carrying it out to a skip, and I was there at that time, and I just saw it, and I said, hey, Mike, are you throwing that out? He says, yeah, yeah. I said, can I have it? <laughs> you, want, you want this? I said, yeah, yeah, could I have it? Be my guest. Go right ahead. It's covered in paint, you know. I said, I know, I know, I know. I don't, I don't need to know what it isn't. Let me tell you what it is. It's structurally sound. It's a double-sided drop leaf. It was oak, I believe, table. Probably 60, 70 years old. I know what it isn't, but I also know what it is. And I took that table, and I started to scrape off, which was actually quite easy, the grime of the years, and I bought a sander, and that thing came up like a new pin. You wouldn't believe it. And I got some wax, and I got some polish, and Mike came into the office one day to me, and he said, Mike, is, is that the table? I said, yeah. He said, I'm sick as a dog. <laughs> I said, well, there you go, you know. Don't be careful when God asks you to do things, that your first reaction is to tell him what you can't do, what you haven't got. It's a bad mindset. Amen. It's a bad mindset. Something needs to change. Look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. 2 Kings 6, 17. This is Elisha, the disciple of Elijah. Elisha. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills were full of horses and chariots and fire all around. Fantastic situation. You know the story. Now look at me, folks. Here you've got 12 disciples, and they, they, they've got bread, but they can't really see it. Here you've got a widow, and she's actually got something, 
But you know what? She can't actually see it. Here you've got Elisha with a servant who's just, who thinks he's just going to be destroyed. And even though God has released the armies of heaven, he can't see it. Same problem, multiple situations throughout Scripture. Same problem. Actually, do we have any blind people in the fellowship? Any blind people? Anybody blind here? You know, Jesus, if you follow his teachings, he was constantly speaking to crowds of people. And do you know what he, what he often said to them? You're all blind! You know that? Over and over again. They were people who could see naturally. They were people who could see. In their own eyes they could see, if you like. But he was trying to draw their attention to something completely different. To a spiritual reality, a, 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 a spiritual mind. A way of seeing and perceiving life and your reality that can just change things so quickly, so quickly. If only you will see yourself, only you obey God and renew your mind, transform your thinking, okay? You can enter into like a different realm, a different world. So first and foremost, first mistake I believe I can make, and I believe you do too, we all do, not recognizing the small abilities or appreciating the small abilities that we have and submitting them to the church, to Christ, for use. It is a flaw. It is a problem. And I ask God to shine His light on your world today and to show you, like with the widow, she walked all those years. Her husband's dead. She's a widow. And she's got all this pressure of bringing up this kid and she can't see. And God has mercy on her. He says, Elijah, I want to bless that woman. Go to her. And with the prophet, as I say, comes light. And all of a sudden, the woman who has always said, I've got nothing. Elijah didn't correct her, remember. She said what she always, I've got nothing. Oh! And for the first time, except suddenly she realizes I've been ignoring that little thing. And Elijah was bang on. There was, there was a key there to open a flood. And I pray God reveals to you this morning, because same principle for all of us, we must recognize what He has given us. The second thing that He did and I love this as well. We, we, we've looked at this word before. It has particular relevance this morning. Jesus looked up. The Greek word there is anablibo. And Andrew Womack has done a lot of teaching on that word. I love the word. It's a very, it, it hides in your English translation, folks, and you can just read over it without understanding it. The word anablibo is used 24 times in the New Testament, and it is used when describing someone who is blind who receives sight, okay? It's not, the word does not mean seeing, okay? It doesn't mean to see anything. It doesn't mean to look. It means to receive sight. It means that something comes into me, okay? Now, when I look back over the years, some of the, the, the greatest miracles that I, I've been involved in that have worked through these hands, that's exactly, exactly what has happened. When you've been in a situation, a, a critical, chronic situation, and there's pressure to get an answer, like when Naomi was, we were told she was going to die. The doctors in the hospital said she's going to die by 5 a.m. approximately that day, that night. And I've got the parents. You need to hear from God, okay? Because these are beloved friends of ours. But you see, you go into the presence of God, and in that, I received it. I received from God. Received light. I didn't say, go and pray to Jesus. Go and seek private help. You know the natural answers. I'm not asking you to, I'll do it. I'll go on your behalf. I will find your miracle for you. 
And I was able to go back to that couple and say, this day, your daughter will live. Your daughter will not die. Hallelujah. Praise God. It was fantastic. But you see, that's not something that I saw. <laughs> it's something I received. Anablebo. Anablebo is the Greek word. And I say, we're, we're ripped off in English because we don't see what Jesus is trying to let us see. He, he, look, please look at me. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray that they will get it. 5,000 people, five loaves, and the eyes of the apostles are down. Where is Jesus looking? Up. Up. And it says, and Jesus, Jesus wasn't blind. It's the same word that's used when blind people got sight. Jesus is not blind. Physically. But in that situation, when the miracle was needed there, he looked up to his father, received the faith, the word, the knowledge. I do nothing except what I see my father do. You understand? He saw what the father wanted to do. He received it into his spirit, and then he actualized that through faith. And this is the nature of the miraculous. Not just miraculous, but in critical situations, in crisis situations, the same principle will rescue you, okay, from harm or whatever. Remember, another dangerous situation this was actually. Um, I was preaching in Cardiff City Center. Thank God there's been very little trouble over the years where you get hurt or hit or anything, very little. But this one day, this, this madman, this lunatic, came screaming at me. I mean, he was crazy. Now, I worked on a lock ward for five years with violent men. I know all about exactly where he's at. I can suss him out very fast. And as he came up to me, I can't control him. I can't handle him. This guy's going to take me out. End of story. I can't physically restrain him. I've got zero hope right now. And he's screaming, you know, right into my face. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? I remember exactly what I did. As he's yelling at me, I just looked up. God, <laughs> help! <laughs> help! And you know, I looked up, and from the side of the street came a mountain man. Yeah, a giant with big, thick arms. You know, you know one of those? <laughs> and he leaned down, and the guy stopped shouting a moment, and we both kind of looked up. I thought, man. I remember thinking in my head, I hope he's on my side. <laughs> and the guy leaned down, and he looked, he looked mean. And he leaned down, and he said, I'm born again. I thought, praise God. Yes. <laughs> he said, I'm born again, and I'm on his side. I thought, Jesus, hallelujah. And that crazy guy, he kept talking, but he started walking backwards. Away, away. And I turned to the guy and I said, sir, thank you very much. Who are you? I, actually, that guy was a pastor. And we were actually in a, in, a, in a church where he was launching his church in Cardiff. That was his first or very few weekends in Cardiff City. Look up. I've told you other situations exactly like that, haven't I? Two weeks ago, I told you when I was trapped in the church door. Remember? But what do you do? If you turn... My, my point is, folks, I believe that God is that far away that the miracle is right here. It's not a million miles away, but you don't look up. And God, pent, ready, waiting, but you don't look. Don't turn to Him. We get natural reactions. We don't listen. We're not tuned that way. We're not thinking that way. And of course, God says, look, I act on your faith. As you believe, so shall you receive. But your thinking is carnal, human. Your thinking is carnal, and so these miracles pass you by day after day, and then we judge God. 
when he simply wants, and it's the law of the kingdom, is faith. Everything works by faith. And part of that faith has got to be my belief that my good God, my Father, is right beside me, ready to rescue me, ready to deal with anything provided I make that divine connection. I repeat, what miracles are you hoping for? You need to be hoping for some. What, you know, changes in your family, in your finances, in your relationship, in your health, whatever it is, what is it? And I want to challenge you to look at the situation with believing eyes, to receive from God how He sees it, as it were, because that for me is the key. There's a blind guy where we live in Bersden. I, I see him all the time. Uh, a couple of years ago, I saw him. He was walking down the street with his white stick, and someone had double-parked their car with two wheels on the pavement and two wheels on the road, and he bumped into it. And I watched it. I was driving past at the time, and as he hit the car, he took his white stick. I tell you, he went to town on that car. Stip, you, you, oh. I felt so sorry for him. He beat the living daylights out of that car with his stick. Not easy being blind, huh? Very frustrating. Very frustrating not being able to see in the natural. But imagine spiritually. Imagine having a book full of promises that are for you and not seeing them realize. Very frustrating, that. And so many Christians, you know, they get angry, anxious, resentment, or whatever. And you may not thrash a car. That's not the situation. But inside, the same, you know, anger builds up because we know this is not right. Something's wrong. What do we think? That it's our thinking. Our mentality? Or is it always just the sin and the devil? And that's why we have stories like this. It's not a parable. It's an account. It's not a story that's made up. It's a real situation. And that's why they're in your Bible. It's to get your attention on your mind for a moment. And for you to realize that you actually have warfare on many fronts. Can I have your Bible, Ian, please? Thank you. I want to remind you of something, folks. You know the people who received miracles in the Bible? They were all sinless. <laughs> That's a joke. They were all sinners. Every single person who received a miracle was a sinner. Amen? And they had just simply, they had changed their focus. Thank you. They had changed their focus. At some point, they changed their focus. And they thought, amen. By the power of God, I will walk free of sin. Not, not, not the point. By the power of God, we'll drive out demons. But that's not the only point. At some point, they had changed and moved on in their thinking, in their mentality. And I challenge you to add to your armory, okay, how you perceive things. And what would your, what's your first reaction when hit with a crisis anyway? What do you do? Like with these guys, they did all the wrong things. They came up with human answers. When I was about 10 years old, I was lying on the kitchen floor in our house, and I picked up a pepper pot. I was lying on my back, and I turned the pepper pot upside down, not a very clever thing to do, and the top came off, and all the pepper went straight into my eye, and I screamed. And the only other person in the house was my father, who was way upstairs somewhere, and I screamed and screamed, and I heard his feet come running down. He comes into the kitchen, he sees the pepper, he sees me, and I thought, thank God, he just needs to get, turn the top, get some water on my eye. Help me, Dad. Did he? No. I tell you, he turned around and he went straight back upstairs and he left me screaming and I will never forget it because oh, off he goes back upstairs and I'm going, what? Dad! Dad! 
And I thought, what on earth is he doing? And anyway, he comes thundering back downstairs again. And he's got a bottle of holy water, because he's a Catholic. A bottle of holy water. And he lies me down there. Sit still, sit still. And he poured that holy water into my eye. Bing! I've still got two. <laughs> Amen. And you know, you, you hear something like that, and you can mock it. I don't believe in holy water. But I believe in God. And you see, with a tap, with a tap right here, carnal, natural. And then with the, with, with, with the God bit, <laughs> the holy water, there. I'm actually quite impressed. Do you understand me? I'm quite impressed that when, you know, you're under the cosh, when the pressure is on, that my father in that panic situation, one thing was on his mind, God needs to be brought into this situation in some way. Now, in his tradition, holy water, fine. You understand me? Most of you would have turned on the tap. <laughs> Correct? You understand what I mean? And that's no criticism there. I'm, I'm just making a point. What do you do? That was a very good lesson that has kind of branded itself on me in crisis. Turn to God. And you'll find he's very near. Very, very near. But that's it. You know, David said his forehead like flint. It means he'd already set, set his mind, he'd set his heart to be prepared in those situations, which is what days like today hopefully can do for us. They can prepare us for crises that will come our way so that we do take the discipline of turning to God. This truth of you trusting God, you turning to Him in moments of crisis, it's not just moments of crisis. But you need to ask God, just like they needed to see the bread in a different way, so I think we all need to see each other, maybe, in slightly different ways. In our relationships with our brothers, sisters, whatever, husbands, wives, families, we need to see people or ask God to give us the ability to see people as He would have us see them, friends. Please pay attention. Look at me. Some of you are looking at people in the wrong way. Some of you are judging in the wrong way, and you need to be careful of that. Many years ago, I had a, a terrible situation on my hands. I had a mentally ill man who was also a friend of mine, but he had been in and out of psychiatric care in the recent past, and he was a member in our church, and he was full of excitement because he felt that he wanted to be our youth leader. And he said to me, I want to talk to you, Pastor Mike, I want to talk to you, I'm going to do the youth. I oh no. Because the man had not a lot going for him in his life. And here he was with a dream, here he, I didn't want to puncture his balloon, but there's no way I can let him take over the youth until he has at least some clear time. I mean, it was very recent past that he was under care. So it wasn't a no, it was just a hold on a minute. I would like to see you in church six months in sanity before we give you responsibility. So he said, can you meet me? Can you talk to me? I said, yes. And we made an arrangement to meet in a coffee shop. So I'm going to this coffee shop to meet this Christian who happens to be suffering from an, an illness, a mental illness, and here I am going to take away the only hope in his life. Not a good situation. And I remember not knowing what to do on my way to that meeting. Oh, yo. Praise God. I stopped. <laughs> what would you do? What do I say? And you know, God spoke to me very clear, and said something I never, ever would have dreamed of or thought of. The guy's name was Sean, and God spoke to me sweetly, gently, and He said, look at Sean. See how he loves me? Even though he's mentally ill, he's still seeking to serve me. Even though he knows 
that serving me may drive him over the edge again and end up back in hospital. In spite of all this, see how he loves me. Whoa, I never thought of that. So I turned up in the coffee shop. Youth, Pastor Mike, I'm going to be the youth leader. And I sat and I looked at him and I said, Sean, this morning I was coming here dreading what to say to you. So I asked God to talk to me. And God told me that you love him. And that even though you know that this would make, could make you sick again, that God really appreciates that. And as I told him, I started to cry, uncontrollably cry, and try and finish the prophetic word. And as I started crying, he started crying. And we both sat there in Rath Mines in Dublin, crying over our coffee. And when we finished and got ourselves together, Sean looked at me and he said, do you know what, Mike? Forget the youth. It's not important. I just needed to know that he loved me. And I guess I wanted to do something. I guess I wanted to serve, to do work, to get that approval. But I've already got it now. So forget about the youth. I remember leaving that meeting and thinking to myself, I tell you what, no human being could sort a problem out that good. Amen. The youth are safe, I'm happy, and he's happy. Ah, three out of three. Whatever situation, it's not rocket science, whatever situation you face, develop the habit of seeking God first. Okay, first. It's, remember, Romans chapter 1, because they did not think it worthy to turn to God, that's why judgment came on them, remember? They didn't think. You need to think of God and bring Him into the equation, and that's what the apostles in, in Mark did not do. Number one, respect the little, and we've all got something in our lives that you're going to have to acknowledge and respect. Remember to look up and remember to give thanks. Giving thanks is like giving, having labor, if you like, in birth. Miracles don't all come quickly. They don't all happen instantly. Some do, thank God, but many do not. And you need to get to the place where you're willing to pray things through. For example, if your arm is paralyzed and you can't move it, but you can move your little finger, what do you say? Praise the Lord. If your arm is still paralyzed and you can move your wrist, what do you say? Praise the Lord. If your arm is still paralyzed, but now you can move your lower arm, and you know what you're doing? Gathering the bread. You're gathering the bread. You're having respect for the little things. You're changing your speech, which is critical in these situations, changing your speech, changing the way you see things, and slowly, in some cases, the miracle will begin to appear. Jesus respected the little. He gathered it in, and you just read it. It says, and He gave thanks. He gave thanks for the little, okay? So, be patient with miracles. Be patient with them coming and honor God through the process. You know what it says in the book of Proverbs. We've looked at it many times. The power, it's talking about your tongue, and it says what? Somebody say it to me. The power, anybody? What's in your tongue? The power of life and death, wrong. Any other answers? What's in the tongue? Do you know Christians all over the world, when asked that question, do you know what they say? They say what John said. The Bible says the power of life and death are in the tongue. No, it doesn't. The Bible says the power of death and life, not life and death. Death and life. Death first. There's a point there. And the point is this. My carnal self, my first instinct is what? To speak negatively. The carnal and it has to be changed, change my mind into the spiritual. And I need to speak life. 
And I thank God Jeanette has, has corrected me so many times, like most wives do, connected me, corrected me so many times over the years. And I was quite negative of speech. Um, but I'm not. I'm not. She, her, her mind was much more renewed in, in, in this way than mine. And I have changed my speech and guarded my speech because Jesus says to me, you're going to have whatever you say. I'm going to have whatever I say. So I better watch my mouth. You see, let me misquote Scripture so you get the point. Does, Mark, does Mark's gospel say this? And Jesus lift up the, lifted up the bread and cursed it? No. Ridiculous. Jesus lifted up the bread, gave thanks for it, and blessed it. And so I must do with myself, with my life, my future. I need to speak blessing upon myself. Not negativity. Goodness knows there's enough other people who will do that for you. Right? Don't curse yourself, because that's what it is. Negative speech is cursing. That's exactly what it is. So be careful of your speech and what comes out of your mouth. Let me finish with Psalm chapter 3. Everybody turn to this if you would. Psalm chapter 3 and verse 3. Psalm chapter 3 and verse 3. In various scriptures, you will see this in various ways in translation, but I love this scripture. But you are my Redeemer and the lifter of my head. My Redeemer and the lifter of my head. I love it. Fantastic, isn't it? Do you know, many years ago, I was lost. I was not saved. And I'd been in a relationship, and the relationship had gone wrong, badly wrong. And uh, I wouldn't actually, looking back on it, I wouldn't say I was in love with, the, with, with, with that girl, but it, it felt like it at the time. And I was beaten up, battered up, and in a pretty bad way. And I was walking through the streets of Cardiff, a place called Campton, and I tell you folks, my head was definitely down. Well and truly down. It's just human nature. I saw someone last week walking, a person I know. I was telling the guys, and his head was down. And I just kind of blocked his path. I said, hello, you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. They began to tell me about a problem that they had. And it's a very human thing. Rather than looking up, when faced with a problem, really there's a tendency to hang your head. And I, I started going to my local Catholic church and, and sitting there as a lost person with my head very seriously down. I'm very sad, very depressed, and very lonely. And for the first time in my life, looking for God, whoever He is or wherever He is. And slowly, I began to repent. It took two and a half weeks, but all my days and forever, I will never forget when I first perceived the cross, that it was Jesus who died. Ah, oh, see... I felt like such a sinner, you see. Felt like such a sinner. I don't deserve to be in here. I don't deserve to be in His presence. And so I couldn't lift my head. But when I saw the cross, I saw, I see. He died to take away my sin. What do you think happened to my head? I lifted up my head in that seat. I can see it now. I lifted up my head. He is my Redeemer and the lifter of my head. Hallelujah. For the first time in my life, I realized, hey, he will take all my cares, all my worries I can cast on to God Almighty, for He is able. Praise God. 
But the point of the Scripture, you see, He is my Redeemer and the lifter of my head. And the point to you this morning is, fantastic folks, that the day came for you when you saw Christ, but now you must walk on with your head lifted high. Right? It's not just about looking up to receive salvation. That's not what Jesus did, is it? That's not what Elisha did. That's not what Elijah did. It's not just for salvation. He is my Redeemer. I lifted my head, but now I must walk on with my head lifted high, with my eyes firmly looking to receive from God the sight, the knowledge, call it what you will, for any and every circumstance I face. That can be in the long term, but it can also be when you need emergency responses from God. So very simple this morning because the things that block our lives, folks, they don't tend to be complicated. They tend to be the simple things. Number one, appreciate the small things and ask God to shine a light on them like with the widow. Receive a vision by looking up. What would you do? WWJD, what would you do? Show me. And you know that person in the office, God, or you know that family member that I just can't stand? I gave you just a moment. Show me them, God. Show me what you see. Show me how you see them. Forgive me for my judgmental eyes. Forgive me for not seeing things as you do. Give me vision this morning. And as things begin to change, give thanks. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Until the miracle is in your hand.